not going to lie that I've been influenced by my kids in titling this series, The Greatest Show. There's a movie called The Greatest Showman, and I'm going to resist the urge to sing all the songs to you because it's got a great soundtrack. But you know, the Bible talks about a lot of great things. There's some great instructions in God's Word. I mean, if we just wanted to talk about great things in the Bible, we could just open it anywhere. How many of you know we could open it anywhere and just begin, and that would be a great spot to begin? But for the next three Sundays, beginning today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the three greatest things. I want to talk about the three greatest things. It's the greatest commandment. It's the great commission and the great requirement. So today, on Father's Day, I want to begin with the greatest commandment. And I'm excited about this series because I know what I'm going to say. But as I was thinking about it last night, this thought crossed my mind. I thought some of the guys are going to show up today on Father's Day, maybe even some men that don't come on a regular basis, and right about this moment when I say, hey, we're starting with the greatest commandment, you're going to go, great. So I came to church today so the preacher could tell me what I'm supposed to do that I'm not doing and all the things that I'm doing wrong. And, uh, and, and listen, if, if, that's, if that's where you're leaning already, let me just say, if you knew what I knew, you'd be excited about it. In fact, if you knew what the greatest commandment could mean for you and for your life, I'm going to tell you, you might even long for the commands. You might even be hungry for the commands of God. You say, that, that, that sounds crazy. Listen, David understood it. Let me give you a psalm real quick. The Bible says this in Psalm 119, verse 131. He said, I open my mouth and I pant, longing for your commands. I just got to have them. They're so good. I long for them. I don't know. Is that your thought today when I say the commands of God? We're going to talk about the greatest command. Oh, I got to have it. I long for it. I, I'm panting for the commands of God. Listen, guys, I want to give you a, a word of confidence today. I, I didn't come on Father's Day to tell you to man up. I didn't come on Father's Day to, to beat you down or to tell you it's time to, to shape up and to take your role and to be the kind of person God wants you to be. You know, there's, there's a thing called religion. That as soon as we start to hear the truth of God's word, we start to feel this heaviness and this oppressiveness that wants to creep in on us. And we can't even imagine longing and panting for the truth of God's word because there's something in us that just says, it just means try harder and have less fun. <laughs> That's not what David longed for. Thank you, Pastor Chris. I appreciate that. <laughs> Glad you came to church today, brother. I was second guessing this whole series right about then. Oh my goodness, it's so quiet in here. I want to tell you, God is good. And God has a good plan for your life. And there's a reason that what we're going to look at today is called the greatest commandment. If you got your Bible, would you go with me to the book of Deuteronomy? Now I'm going to put a lot more verses on the screen today, but I want you to camp out with me there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I believe today this is going to answer the question, not only what is the greatest commandment, but why you and I should love it, why we should long for it, why we should pant for it like a deer pants for water. We ought to hunger for this 
commandment in our life. Did you find Deuteronomy 6? Amen. Two of you. We're going to get there today. You guys, you guys, now see, here's what happened. Last Sunday, I had my dad come preach, and you showed your cards. You showed me you can talk back. Some of you that ain't never said amen, I heard your voice. I heard your voice. The cat is out of the bag. You might as well just relax and have fun and say amen. Come on, don't make me preach my what is an amen sermon again. Amen? Amen. All right. Are you in Deuteronomy 6? Let's look at it. Here it is. Verse number 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing, the Jordan, to possess. So that, so that is a purpose statement. Why am I teaching you these laws? So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Now let's stop right there because this is not helping my case with some of you that are skeptical about the commands. You go, okay, so wait. So the reason I should love the commands, the reason I should pant for the commands is so that me, my kids, and my grandkids can be afraid of God? Is that what that said? So that you may fear the Lord? That's not what that said. Listen, we don't understand the fear of the Lord. When we read a statement like that, oftentimes the first thing we think is intimidation. We think of the way that we construct fear in people's lives. But what this is talking about is a healthy fear. What this is talking about is, is a reverence for who God is and for what God says. Listen, the fear of the Lord does not mean to be afraid of Him. In fact, Moses said the, act, the opposite of that when he talked about the fear of the Lord. In Exodus chapter 20, stay in Deuteronomy, but in Exodus 20, God gave him the commandments, the Ten Commandments. He gave those to him. And then in verse 20, it says this, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. This is Exodus 20, 20. Do not be afraid. How many of you know that, that means fear not? He said, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you. So he said, don't be afraid. God wants the fear of God to be with you. See, if you don't understand the fear of the Lord, that's a contradiction. But he said, the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Because, see, the fear of God is a healthy awareness of God's presence in every circumstance. See, my children, they have the fear of God in them. It, it, it works like this. If you're a mom or a dad, you tell your kid what to do, and they obey. You tell them what to do, and they obey. You tell them what to do, and they obey. And then they go with somebody else. And somebody else doesn't have your rules. And so and they say, hey, let's do this. And they go, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. And they go, oh, it's okay. It's fine. You can do it. They go, I, I, don't, I don't think I should do that. What is that? That's an awareness that even though my parents are not here to impose obedience, I feel like I should honor. That's the fear of God. That's the fact that God is not standing right here saying, don't do that. Or you should go. We, still, we have this constant awareness of the heart of God. Why? Because like a child knows their parents' intentions are for their good. We know the heart of God is for our good. He loves us. He's for us. And so we have this awareness of his presence. And that's why, that's why Moses said the fear of God keeps you from sinning. That's why you ought to long for it because you're a sinner. <laughs> you ought to want the fear of God. Because you know you're going to have moments where you're tempted to not obey. And there's no one to correct you or call you out. And in that moment, it's an awareness of God's presence that is a check in your spirit that goes, 
I just, I, I don't feel peace about that. That doesn't feel like the way that I should go. The Bible says this about the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs 8, verse 13, it says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. You got that verse back there? Proverbs 8, 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. That's the fear of the Lord. Now, now go back with me to Deuteronomy 6, because I want you to see the goodness in the command. He said, I I'm giving you these commands... So that, verse 2 said, you and your children and their children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live and keep all of his decrees and commands that I give you. And, not done, so that you may enjoy long life. Anybody want to live a long life? <laughs> Mike, they're making me work for it here. I was pulling weeds yesterday. Mike said, we'll put a little extra in your check. I said, I'm going to have to buy an amen this morning. <laughs> Come on. This is the favor of God. This is what it looks like. He said, I'm giving you the commands so that you can live a long, enjoyable life. Now, maybe some of you hesitate because I said, how many live long and you don't enjoy life? You're going, no, no. Take me out, God. <laughs> maybe I should have clarified. How many want to live an enjoyable life? long life. That's the promise. <laughs> Not that just you have this miserable existence. When Jesus said, I came to give, you to give you life to the fullest, how many of you know he wasn't just talking about eternity? He wasn't talking about heaven. Right now, abundant life, life to the overflow, life to the fullest. That's the plan and purpose of God. Then it says this, verse 3, hear Israel and be careful to obey these commands, so that, here's another purpose, it may go well with you. How many of you want it to go well with you? And that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Anybody want increase in your life? These are the, the benefits of this great, incredible command. Now, we're going to look at the next couple verses, and the next couple verses or what is called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. This now, for us in American culture, if I said what's the most popular verse, we'd probably all say, you know, John 3.16. But the Shema is the most quoted scripture in all the Bible. It's the most quoted verse in all of the Bible. In fact, Jews recite the Shema in the morning and in the evening every day. The text of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9 it is even written out and put in little prayer boxes. They're called phylacteries. Maybe you've seen a Jewish person praying with, with a little box strapped to their forehead or, or a prayer band around their arm. Jewish boys are taught these next verses of Scripture as soon as they learn how to speak. It's like once you get Mama and Abba out, they're going to start teaching you these next few verses. It's so, so very important. Let's look at it. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Can I just tell you this morning, that is the greatest commandment. That's the greatest commandment. Now, that's not an opinion. You say, how do you know what the greatest commandment is? The, I know it's the greatest commandment because Jesus said, 
This is the greatest commandment. I know that's terribly profound, but I, I want to read it to you. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's it. This is the greatest commandment in all the Bible. The question today is, what do I do with that? Okay, so it's great. What do I do with it? Well, I want us to look at what God said when he gave us this great commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at the next verse. Verse 6 says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now it's starting to sound more like a Father's Day sermon, right? Impress this on your kids. Oh, okay, I, I got it. That's what I'm supposed to do. But can I just encourage you, before we jump into that, before we go right to how I'm supposed to lead, there, there's a process that's unfolded in this chapter. There's three things that I think are critical to you understanding the greatest commandment. And yes, leading your children is important, but it's the third of the three. So what I want to do this morning is I want to back up a little bit, and I want to look at what the Lord says we're to do. These three steps in the process of obeying the greatest commandment. The last step is raising your kids right in the ways of the Lord. But the first two are absolutely critical. If you're a note taker, maybe you grabbed sermon note page on your way in this morning. Write these three words down. Listen, love, and lead. Listen. Love and lead. We're going to stay right here in Deuteronomy 6 and unpack these a little bit. The first one is listen. Deuteronomy 6, 4. We read it, but I want to look at it again. Hear. Can everybody say hear this morning? Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. What is he saying? Before you try to, to follow and obey this greatest commandment in all the Bible, you need to listen. You need to open up your ears, not just your physical ears, but your spiritual ears. He's saying you need to listen. Can I just tell you today, everything that you are, everything that God intended you to be, everything that God purposed for you to do as his child in the earth has to flow out of your revelation of who he is. That's so important. I ought to say it five times, but since two of you nodded, by faith, I'm going to move on. Nothing's more important than understanding who God is and what God says about you. This is the basic foundation of biblical theology. The Lord is one. There's only one God. There's only one God. And that's where it begins for us. And if you'll listen with your heart, if you'll lean in with your spirit, you're going to hear a couple of things. You're going to hear, first of all, who He is. The Lord is one. But you're also going to hear what he thinks about you. Deuteronomy 6.4 said, the Lord, our God. You see that word there? Our God. God wants to speak something about you, about who he thinks you are, about who he uh, longs for you to be. He has a desire for a relationship with you. He has a desire for intimacy. He's not just the Lord one. He's the Lord, our God. 
not going to have a, a sappy confession time here on Father's Day, but, but I know the truth. The truth is there are many people in this room that have struggled your whole life because of an image that was impressed upon you by an earthly father, by something that was said, or worse, by a, a silence, by something that was never said. And we spend our lives trying to live up to the missing affirmation. There's no wound deeper than a father wound. And the, re the reality is this. Every one of us, by God's design, need that fatherly affirmation. Now, I don't know today if you're here and you're, you know, Father's Day is a great day because your dad was an all-star dad. Maybe you're here today and, and your dad was an AWOL dad. And you just, you just want to just get through this and not really think about it. And there's never a card that explains the way you feel and you really wouldn't want there to be one. But the reality is that void that's inside every person. And, and for some of us who have been privileged to have it filled by our earthly fathers. That void is in all of us because father-child relationship is the relationship that God desires more than any other. From you. Did you ever think about the fact that before God created anything, he was already a father? Because the Lord God is one, but he has revealed himself in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why in the beginning of creation, God said, let us make man in our own image. He wasn't talking to himself, he was talking to his son. He said, let's create this dynamic, this relationship that we have had in eternity past and we'll have in eternity future. God wants to have that relationship with each and every one of you. It's no coincidence that every, every child needs that. Every child longs for that affirmation. Jesus even needed it, and he was perfect. Let, let me just camp right here for a minute. Think about this. Jesus never sinned, never made a mistake, yet he needed the affirmation of his Father. That's why the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And it says in verse 16, it says, as soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. He saw the Spirit of God. Something outwardly expressed in that moment. Verse 17 says, and the voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. Th that verse right there communicates the three things that every child needs. And when I say child, I, I mean ev every son, every daughter, maybe even as an adult. Jesus was an adult right here. Every one of us need these three things. We need identity, we need affection, and we need affirmation. The identity came from the Father. This is my son. Jesus said, I only do the things the Father tells me to. In other words, Jesus had such an intimate relationship with God. He didn't need God to speak out loud. Now, some people, I think they do. They need God to speak out loud before they'll ever listen because their, their hearts are so just darkened and callous. But Jesus wasn't that way. Jesus heard and obeyed the Father every day of his life. Why did God do this in this moment? It was a word of identity. This is my son. Jesus felt that. And then he said, whom I love. That's a word of affection. I love him. And it's not, it's not just 
Not just the feeling that he had. He communicated it. How? He communicated it with a touch. The Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. God reached his hand out of heaven and touched Jesus. And he opened his mouth. There's a lot of people, unfortunately, that go through life saying, well, I know, I know my dad loves me because he did this for me. I know my dad loves me because he provided for me. I know my dad loves me. But he never said it. Don't let it go unsaid. Every child needs to hear that word of affection. God made his presence known by speaking. He spoke out of heaven. This is my son whom I love. And then he gave him affirmation. He said, and with whom I am well pleased. I'm, I'm pleased with you, son. Now you remember what's happening in this moment. Jesus is being baptized in the Jordan. In other words, he just had a career in carpentry. Hasn't laid hands on anybody, hasn't preached a sermon, hasn't done any miracles, hasn't done any of the things that Jesus actually was sent to the earth to do to save the world, except be born of a virgin, but that was really not his doing. And yet God looks down, he says, you're my son, and I love you, and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you before you do anything, I'm proud of you. And every child needs that. Everyone needs to hear that. The Father's affirmation. Timothy needed it. Timothy needed to be affirmed in the ministry to be able to do the things that God had called him to do. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul said these words. He said, for the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power and love and self-discipline. Why do you think Paul would say that to Timothy? Why would he say... The spirit that God gives us does not, is not a spirit of timidity. Probably because Timothy was timid. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have encouraged him. He wouldn't have tried to exhort him and, and build him up. In fact, if you study the life of Timothy a little bit, you start to see some of his tendencies. I think Timothy was more of a feeler than a thinker. Because just a couple verses earlier in that same chapter, 2 Timothy 1.4, Paul said, Recalling your tears... I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Timothy was an emotional guy. I mean, Paul had to leave. It's one thing to give him a man hug, but he's balling. Paul said, I remember your tears, and I want to see you again. At another place in Corinthians, Paul was writing to the church, and he said, when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. So, so Timothy was a little bit prone to to struggle with insecurity. He was timid. He was emotional. And so Paul says in his final letter that he's going to write, he writes to Timothy to give him that fatherly. See, it doesn't always come from a, from a biological father. But as a spiritual father, he speaks a word into his heart and into his life. And he says, Timothy, the spirit that God gave you is not a spirit of timidity. It's not a spirit of fear. Timothy, it's a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that was not just a word of exhortation. That was a prophetic declaration. It went right to that young man's heart. It did something that God needed to do in him. Say, how, how do you know that? I know that because I know the rest of the story. You see, it helps to understand a little bit about who Timothy was and how his story ended. You know, the word timidity, he said, God didn't give you a spirit of timidity. That, that word's only used one time in the whole New Testament, right here. And it's a Greek word that means cowardice. It's an inability to face danger 
without showing fear. That, that was Timothy. The first century writer Josephus, and Mike talked about him a little bit last night in our first Bible study that he's going to be leading on Saturday. Josephus used these words, this word, this Greek word that we have as timidity. He used it to describe the ten spies that came back out of Canaan. And they were afraid to go in and possess the promised land because they were afraid of the giants that lived there. That's the word he used, this timidity. What's incredible is the word of timidity is actually an antonym for martyr. So instead of a person that's willing to die for their faith, a timid person is actually willing to denounce their faith to save their life. Paul speaks to this young man. He speaks to that empty place. And he says, God has not given you a spirit of timidity. He affirms him. God's given you power and love and a sound mind. And what's really cool is when you read uh, church history and you understand how Timothy's story ended. See, as historians tell us, Timothy died at the age of 80 years old when he was trying to stop a pagan parade from happening. Doesn't sound very timid, does it? He was dragged through the streets. He was stoned. Eventually, he died a martyr's death. What, what, what happened? The timid, emotional, intimidated Timothy. I'll tell you what happened. He heard a better word. He heard a better word. And it might come from a heavenly father, and oh, I wish it would. It might come from a spiritual father, but that word needs to be spoken over your life. Now, I'm talking about the greatest commandment, but I don't want anyone to rush into the doing before they establish the being. God didn't create human doings. He created human beings. He said, that's my son. I love you. I'm proud of you. Until you get that in your spirit, don't you dare try to go out and live by some religious code of ethics. You're going to fail miserably. And you're going to get a con convoluted picture of who God is. You're going to live under this heavy hand of disappointment and, and oppression. Why? Because you tried to rush into who God said or what God said I'm supposed to do before you got a revelation of who God said you're supposed to be. Amen. So Timothy got it from a spiritual dad. For Carlos Whitaker, it wasn't a voice from heaven. It wasn't a spiritual father. For him, the affirmation came from a preschool teacher, Mrs. Stevens. Carlos Whitaker wrote a book called Moment Maker. And at the beginning of the book, he defines his story like this. He said, the, the defining moment of my life happened in a preschool classroom in the basement of a church in Decatur, Georgia. I was a shy kid, said Carlos. A Panamanian Mexican with an afro parted down the side like Gary Coleman on his best day. Living in a world of bright blonde hair and deep blue eyes and thick southern accents, Carlos was an outlier, and he knew it. But the defining moment, he said, came on the day that the parts were being handed out for the 13th annual Rehoboth Presbyterian Church Preschool Circus. The year before, Carlos had been the lion. But when he roared in the play, he came out more like a meow, and the crowd erupted with laughter. 
Carlos was scarred with shame. Here he was again a year later at the scene of the crime. So his teacher, Mrs. Stephen, she starts assigning all the parts. Mary, dancing bear. Brandon, clown. Jay, muscle man. Now, Carlos Whitaker. Whitaker's at the end of the alphabet. So when Mrs. Stevens got there, finally to his name, she took off her glasses. She smiled, a smile that Carlos said I can still remember to this day. And she said, Carlos, you are going to be the ringmaster. That moment, he said, wrapped up in that one sentence, actually changed everything for me. It changed the trajectory of my very future. As if it had happened yesterday, she thought I could be the ringmaster. In the eighth grade, Carlos would have been content to be the class treasurer, but he ran for class president because he was the ringmaster. As an adult, Carlos has led worship in stadiums filled with tens of thousands of people. He's literally been the master of ceremonies time and time again. But it all traces back to something that a preschool teacher saw in him. She didn't just assign the role in the 13th annual Rehoboth Presbyterian Church preschool circuits. She gave Carlos a new self-image. The greatest commandment is great because of who gave it. Here, the Lord is one. Listen, the Lord is our God. You need to listen today to what he says about you. You need to hear his word of affirmation. Before you dare try to go out and do anything he said do, be the man, be the woman that God said he's called you to be. Who we are is birthed out of whose we are. Let me give you that second word again. It's love. The word is love. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 and 6 Here's that great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Verse 6 says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. How, how is it possible that this one command could stand head and shoulders above all the rest? How is this the greatest commandment and not some other great thing that God said? It's great, in the Bible. we won't take time to go there, but the Bible says in Romans 13, Verse 8 through 10, it explains to us that love is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, when we get this right, everything else falls into place. Kind of like buttoning this shirt this morning. I got this one right. Everything else works itself out. You get this one wrong, I'm looking a little funny. I did get it right, didn't I? All right. Love is the principal thing when it comes to obeying the law. You know, I, I shared this illustration a couple years ago, but it, it's worth using again. You know, parents don't wake up in the morning and, and say, you know what, we better give those kids breakfast because we don't want the cops coming after us. <laughs> now, how many of you know, neglecting a child is criminal. I mean, there are repercussions. But parents don't wake up and say, well, I guess we better give them some clothes to wear because, you know, we don't, we don't want anybody calling the authorities on us. No, <laughs> parents are not motivated by the law to love their kids. 
They're not motivated by the law to take care of their kids. They're motivated by love. That's the way it is in the commands of God. We don't obey God's word because we're motivated by the law. We obey God's word because it's a matter of love. When you love Jesus with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, his commands, they become desires, not obligations. You want, you want to honor him. You want to surrender your life to him. You want, why? Because you know all the benefits that he has for you. You know who he says you are and you know his plans for you are good. You're never going to be able to keep God's commandments out of obligation. That's tiring. It's exhausting. So step one is critical. You have to hear today. You have to hear who God is and who God says you are. And then when you really know who you are in Christ, you respond to that love, in love. And you begin to love him with your whole life. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then you get to the third thing. And don't get them out of order. The third thing is lead. Look with me again. Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. It says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Can I, can I tell you, the reason that the Hebrews were so successful at making their faith an integral part of their life, the reason... That it was so much a part of their culture that serving God and honoring God was just so common in the fabric of their society. It's because religious education was life-oriented, not information-oriented. This verse that I just read, these couple verses, they are the key to godly parenting. I mean, this is it right here. This is how it's done. This passage of Scripture unlocks for us how to teach your kids to love God. It's not about information. It's not about dragging them out of bed one day out of the week, bringing them upstairs and checking them in and letting somebody tell them something from the Bible. That's good, but it's not going to stick. It's not enough. If we're information-oriented, we're not going to pass on what God's done in our heart to our children. We have to be life-oriented. That's what these verses talk about. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk on the way, let it be the decorations in your house. Put those scripture magnets on your refrigerator. Put that wall frame canvas picture in your bathroom. Let it be on the doorpost of your house. And then he says, tie it on your foreheads and on your arms. What is that? That's those prayer phylacteries that they would use. That they would, they would pray. Now, I don't know. Maybe in 2018, it's a tattoo. I, I don't know. You can interpret that how you want to. But what he's saying is let it be on you. Let, let your children, when they see you, they see the word of God. When they see you, they see these commands. Not just something that you drag them to the temple so that they can learn about. Let this be a process. Let this be life-oriented. Let them catch it. See, the love of God is better caught than taught it needs to be taught but it certainly has to be caught dad what do you think i mean what do you think is going to have the mo most impact on your kids the way you treat people or the fact that you say you love god see we don't reproduce what we believe we reproduce how we behave they're watching 
They're watching. In fact, you can't separate the way you treat people from the way you treat God. That's why when they asked Jesus that question, and we read it earlier in Matthew 22, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? They just wanted one. They wanted one, but he gave them two. Look at it with me again. He said in Matthew 22, verse 36, Jesus, or verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he said, And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Those religious people that he was talking to, they would have loved to just focus on their relationship with God and to overlook the needs of people. That's why Jesus is about to launch into the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. He's going to teach them how you're supposed to treat people because we can't disconnect the way we deal with people from the way we deal with God. So Jesus said, look, this is the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, but there's another one that's a whole lot like it. And that's love people. Love God, love people. That's it. That's it. You get that right, you're on your way. I want to challenge you today. I challenge the men. All the parents, all the grandparents. Everyone that has influence over the next generation. Maybe you're a teacher in this church. I want to challenge you to lead. To lead, but not information-oriented knowledge, life-oriented. You lead by the conversation that happens out there eating brats and drinking root beer just as much as you lead when you're having a conversation at the altar. You lead by what you say in church and what you say on social media. Life-oriented leadership. We're called to lead. But I, I want to just, more than anything else, I want you to hear this today. Before you try to lead anyone, you got to have a real love, a real love with God. Not a list of rules, not a list of things you're trying to keep up with. Can I just say this? Maybe the most damaging thing you could do to your kids, maybe the second most damaging thing you could do to your kids would be to act one way on Sunday and live differently the rest of the week. To just to, to demonstrate and model an, an incongruency with an, an inauthenticity with who you are, with, with what, what God says. Does this really matter? That's process. That's life-oriented teaching. Now, maybe the worst thing you could do is to just not live right all seven days of the week. I mean, hey, when you at least get it right one day. Okay, this is a starting place. Get it right one day. But let's get it right all the days. And how do you do that? Not by legalism. You do it by love. You do it by being motivated by the one who loved you and ransomed you and gave himself for you. And that's why all this begins with listening. Before you try to lead and before you try to learn to love, just listen. If you hear anything today, hear the Father heart. Now, you're not going to get an audible voice from heaven. You're not even going to get a spiritual leader like the Apostle Paul. But maybe I'm on par with Mrs. Stevens, a preschool pre teacher. Maybe you can at least get the word that way today. Hear me. God loves you. God is for you. He wouldn't love you more if you were a better parent. He wouldn't love you less. 
He wouldn't love you more. If you lived for him all your life, he wouldn't love you less. He loves you. He's already communicated that. And that's the revelation that God wants to put in our hearts and lives. He wants us to listen to who he is and who he says we are so that we can love him the way he first loved us and so that we can lead the next generation. I want to ask you to bow your head with me all across this room. I want to pray for you today as we conclude this message. And here's my heart. As I prayed for you all this week, I just had this sense that, that, well, I know the devil. I know how he works. That there's this spirit of condemnation that wants to just weigh in on people. That even though maybe you've sat in a church that proclaims boldly the grace of God, week in and week out, you hear us say things like, you can't be saved by your works. It's grace through faith. Even though you hear those things, there's something, in, it's an image. I don't know where it came from. Maybe it was false doctrine that was taught to you. Maybe it was criticism that you got as a kid. Maybe it was the silence that was deafening, the lack of affirmation and the lack of encouragement. I want to tell you today, with your heads bowed, hear my heart. There's nothing that matters more today than your perspective of who God is. If you think he's up there with his hands crossed, wagging his finger at you in disappointment, you're never going to walk in love. You're never going to reproduce life-giving people. But oh, if you would open your spiritual ears today and listen, and hear the Father's heart. He's saying today, this is my son. This is my daughter. I love you. I love you. I love you. And in you, I am well pleased. Oh, but we push back. You, you don't know what I've done. I'm well pleased. Yeah, but I, I mean, I've never even I've never even read the Bible. I am well pleased. Because you're my child. It doesn't matter what you do. You're always going to be my son. You're always going to be my daughter. And right now, I just want to invite you to make an altar where you're sitting. Come on, just allow the Lord to get personal with you. Allow Him to love you in this moment. Father, thank you for your grace right now that reaches us, that touches us at our place of need. God, thank you that right now your grace is sufficient and your love covers a multitude of sins. God, in Jesus' name, I rebuke the lies of the enemy. I rebuke the spirit of timidity. I rebuke the spirit of fear or of inferiority, God, today, may we be enveloped in the voice of our Father. May we hear your heart and see in the cross of Christ a demonstration of a love that knows no limits. Thank you, God, that you poured out your love for us through your Son. God, today, we embrace that love. If you're here today and you need to just accept the love of God, you need His forgiveness, you need His grace, you need to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. I want you to just pray this prayer with me and mean it from your heart. Church, I'm going to ask you to pray it with us. Can we say this together? Say, Dear God, Dear 
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to do what I could never do. Pay the penalty for my sin. And because he did that, I'm your child. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm a part of your family. Today I receive your salvation. And from this moment forward, I want to live my life being who you say I am. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Can we give God praise today? Amen.